Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Buttcoiners. Today is March 10th, 2016, and this is Unconfirmed Transactions. I've been out of my mind a long time. I've been out of my mind a long time. I know I said on the last show that I would be speaking mostly to non-Bitcoiners, and an update on that is that it's been extremely hard to find any non-Bitcoiner to talk to. I have some really good friends who I reached out to to discuss politics and anarchism and Occupy and decentralism, etc., etc. These are people who basically consider themselves political theorists, organizers, and are very comfortable with public speaking. And when I reached out to them, one guy I reached out to, he said, great. No problem. Let's set that up. And then I gave him some background material. And I think as soon as he got a little deep into the Bitcoin, he bailed. And he didn't just bail. He 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 cold shouldered me. You know, I was like, hey, man, like, did I scare you away with my Bitcoin like zealotry? Like not even like a like a ha 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 ha, you know, cold, cold, man. And then I talked to another guy. Same thing. No response at all. And again, these are people I know well, so I guess Emma really is really spot on with her correctness about, you know, no one wants to hear about Bitcoin. And it's, Bitcoin is really a dirty word for, for leftists in general. It's a shame. I've met a lot of really good people who are doing a lot of interesting political work, and they hold a sort of hope that we'll have a moneyless society. And I'm just not so sure that's, that's a, a real thing that you can think about, <laughs> or you do should think about. Anyways... So beyond that, me and Emma went out to a meetup. It's called BitDevs here in New York City. It's my first Bitcoin meetup. Thought it was kind of interesting to get out and see what the real world was like. And a lot of interesting things happened there. So, you know, for one of the things that was kind of hilarious is that me and Emma were recognized. I was recognized by my voice, which is weird, but I like that. So somebody came up to me and was like, hey, like, are you... And then, are you Bitcoin girlfriend? And so, for Emma, that was sort of, I think, she's going to quit Bitcoin cold turkey after that. I think that was really enough for her. But, you know, I'm still going to, she's going to be a character in the show now, basically. Other than that, oh, and I should say that the guy that came up to us and recognized us was the organizer at the front of the room. So, you know, that's the sort of people you can reach with a stupid little podcast and uh, knowing Chris and Josh vaguely online. It's incredible like the quality of people that listen to that stupid show. Like you got CEOs of BitPay <laughs> listening to the show. You have Coinbase people listening to the show. You have Roger Ver listening to the show. You have all these people. And, you know, all they do is show you their butt all day. And it's great. And I don't know why people are so up in arms over them. I'm going to put a link in my, my description for a Twitter poll that's going on right now. There's uh, six days left to vote. There are 40 or so votes cast so far, and it's neck and neck. And the question is, who is the dumbest man in Bitcoin? You can vote for anyone as long as it's Chris or Josh, you know? So that's how it goes around here. Now, let me get back to what happened at the event. And again, I'm sorry. I, I'm just going to be talking. It's, it's kind of not what I want to be. I don't want to be a squawk box by myself, but I am lining up a couple interesting things like, there are intricate millinery stores here in the Lower East Side, and I'm trying to convince a few of them to talk to me about millinery because I am definitely an anarcho-millinerist. I believe that's definitely a good political project for the next year or so to get that up and running, and then it'll just take over and we'll have a you know a thousand-year reign of anarcho-millinerism. It's 
pretty obvious like it just follows right but anyways the and beyond that i've been trolling Backpage, and i'm trying to get some prostitutes who might be interested in speaking with me but you know they, they seem to be not so willing to speak with somebody on their podcast like makes sense no one, they don't want no one up in their business but i'm going to keep working on that so look forward to that so we got some prostitutes we got the millinery and the other thing i'm doing is i'm um I'm working on speaking to shopkeepers about who uses their their ATMs because I think the people that use the ATMs aren't the 30-year-old white kid that everyone seems to think is the user of Bitcoin. But that's all sort of preview. The BitDevs meetup. Some of the interesting things, again, for my first time ever going to a BitDev meetup, so or any meetup in general. And one of the first things I overheard I, I, I really wanted to be a good guest, so I, I bit my tongue, and I was sitting on my hands, but there's a guy behind me, and he was having a real discussion, and it was like this. He was saying, um, 12 cents, that, that's just, just not going to fly, so we made the decision to start our own blockchain, and we're going to do an ITO. To me, he's telling me, like, we're going to do something dumb, we're going to start a blockchain, and then we're going to perform a scam, you know, or an ITO. And he was just like, you know, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> and... Ah, I would. I I really wish I, sh- I should have gone up to them and just got their names, and so I could kind of call out the scam before the scam happened. But just the things I overheard, they were insane. Like there was a, we went around the room, like you know, people were introducing themselves, and there were a lot of people there at the BitDev meetup for Ethereum, and all the people that were there for Ethereum were the suits. There was one guy from Deloitte. He's in the nicest nicest suit in the whole room. He was like, I'm here for Ethereum, like I'm really interested in that. And it was just I don't know. I I just really have a lot of issues with with Ethereum that I'll circle back to. But it's almost nice. Like when someone says they're there for Ethereum, it like lets you know that they're an idiot. That was one of the things I really liked actually about the meetup was that there's like sixty or so people there and when the discussion got technical and interesting in a chat room, you usually get like a lot of a lot of noise. But in, in person, like the people who are stupid, they kind of shut up, which is nice. So it, it was it was it was productive to to be there and talk, and I, I really liked that. Um, but you could definitely tell that there was maybe like six technical people and you know fifty four not technical people there trying to get rich, which is fine. But I don't recommend it. What else? I have I have some show notes here. I'm still getting used to podcasting, obviously. So one of the things, one of the companies that was there or the projects that was presenting that night was Blockstack, and so I I had a little bit of background in Blockstack because I know that they were on Namecoin. And I had seen recently they were switching to the Bitcoin blockchain and they're sort of ramping up their promotion. And one of the things I had seen them mention is that they're going to pay. Right now they burn their registration fees, but in the future they're planning to give that fee to miners. And I was very, I'm, that, that to me is a mistake or some, there's funky reasons behind that. So I went to, I wanted to ask them about that. But then during their presentation, they put up this chart and it was like a market share chart and it included open assets. It included a bunch of things I've never heard of, but it didn't include, for example, a counterparty. They're like, look, we are the number one namespace on the blockchain. And, you know, they didn't mention a counterparty, which has just as many asset registrations and has been on the Bitcoin blockchain all along. So I found that really disingenuous to i felt like i was being lied to and obviously i have a interest in counterparty but that just kind of raised my hackles so then they opened it up to questions i asked them why because on bitcoin uncensored they've been talking about 
the fact that op temp is a bad deal because you're paying the same amount and it's prunable. So why wouldn't you encode, you know, in multi-sig transactions? And his response is basically that um, if you want to be a good blockchain citizen, you'll use the op return. And then somebody in the audience said that the reason you use op return and not multi-sig encoding is it pollutes the UTXO pool. That was really annoying to me. I'm just not so sure I can accept any ethical or moral arguments for the blockchain. It always confuses me that that's the position people take. Like, I'm not going to be a good blockchain citizen. And like, I'm not going to give a shit about polluting your blockchain. Like, if I want to use the blockchain, I'm going to use it as best as I see fit. And the other thing I've seen, this is, you know, it's, it's common in, you know, maybe empathy is the killer app of the blockchain. I, you know, I mean, I'm really just rehashing a lot of Bitcoin Uncensored. So maybe I'll just end up shutting the show down and just becoming a listener again. But I was on Twitter and I saw Tur Dimensteer. I don't know how to say his name. He posted up a Gregory Maxwell quote. And it, it, here's the quote. He took it down because I, I tweeted at him. I was like, dude, this just made me like a classic supporter. And he took down the quote. But I, I, I remembered the quote because I have a, a decent memory and I Googled it. And I found the quote that he had uh, meme, memefied. So here it is. Quote, cryptography is the art and science we use to fight the fundamental nature of information, to bend it to our political and moral will, and to direct it to human ends against all chance and efforts to oppose it. So the issue I had was specifically with moral will. You know, morality is a very dense philosophical topic and will or the will is also a very dense political and philosophical topic. So to see them grouped together there and sort of just matter of fact, oh, it annoys me. The protocol is the protocol and people are going to use it. And if you want people to use it in certain ways, you have to change the protocol rules. If you just expect people to play nice, that's... I mean, that's really a mistake. You know, it's, if you've ever built an application, you know that the user cannot be trusted. User inputs should not be trusted. So don't be surprised when people input crap you don't want. Maybe instead of blockchain Jesus, what we need is Satan. You know, this whole morality thing in the blockchain, like, forget it. The other thing that came up at, at the, I've gone off on a tangent on the, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say there, but there's like this current of ethical moralness that, I just think is unnecessary or I'm not saying I am without morals or ethics. I just think the blockchain is without ethics and morals. And it further came up when they were talking about Blockstack specifically, when they were talking about name registration, somebody in the audience had asked about when a name is registered, if there's like an auction maybe for that. So if eBay.id goes up for sale, like can I outbid eBay? And Blockstack's position was that that's stealing. And the audience member was like, no, I'm just outbidding them. And they're like, no, that's stealing. And it got into this really weird discussion, which kind of, to me, revealed a little bit of like their naivete in the space. So the argument was basically like, if you have a trademark, what happens if the trademark owner wants it? Would they sue the owner of that asset? And obviously, like they can sue them if they can find them. If they can't find them, they can't sue them. But the thing that it revealed to me is like the domain name system, the existing domain name system, there is an organization called WIPO and they have a process called the UDRP or the Uniform Domain Resolution Pro Process or something like that. And if you have a trademark and you feel like somebody is squatting your trademark, you can bring it to the UDRP and it's like an arbitration process and it's well known and the fact that Blockstack didn't bring that up 
suggest to me that they don't know like a hell of a lot about the domain name system. And I also ask them like why, you know, but beyond domain names, what is the use case of Blockstack? Because the current domain name system is one of the most well-used and adopted protocols that I can think of. What I brought up was that there's a lot of money invested, a lot of marketing money invested in the phrase www. If I tell you www. and then some string, you know what to do with that string. If I tell you ebay.id, which is a Blockstack specific string, are you going to know what to do with that? No, you're probably going to think it's a domain name. I just think it's a little crazy to take on the domain name system. And I know that, you know, it's centralized, but I don't have a problem with that. I know that they've taken domains away from the Pirate Bay or Trademark Squatters, but I'm also okay with that. And you know what happens when they take away the domain from Pirate Bay? They just they just move to a different domain. And if all else fails, like you can just use an IP. I'm just not really so sure what they're doing there. The other thing, oh, there's just like a lot of, I don't, I really, they seem like nice guys and it's not that it's not an interesting project. I'm just worried about some of the things they're doing. It's, it's, so for example, registration fees are burned currently. Oh, hold on. I gotta edit this out. I get a phone call. Okay. Sorry. I was uh, on the phone there. I paused it real quick. I was talking about the pricing model that they're using in Blockstack. So right now they burn the fee, but the fee is on a price curve. So if you try to register like A.ID, that costs more than ABC.ID, which costs more than ABCDEFG.ID. So they have a price curve built in. I don't know why they did that. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. To me, it's a bad design design decision. So let's say, you know, .com. I like .com because I know it's going to cost me 10 bucks a year. Like there's expectations about the price. And I know that they did that to sort of prevent squatting of the quote unquote best names. But Counterparty has done a thing, like they've done a thing where they don't allow you to register anything shorter than four characters. So they've sort of taken out that whole option of like that highly rare short names. I'm pretty sure a four-character string, it's something like 450,000 possible strings. So that's like the maximum rarity you have in Counterparty. And there's a set price of half of an XCP. So you know the price. There's not this ultra-rare names, like don't even exist in the system. So I feel like that was just a simpler design decision than like a complex price curve. But that's not really the problem I have with them. The problem I have with them is they're talking about giving fees to miners and they're saying that that will help secure the network. And that's definitely um, an hypothesis and an assertion, but I, I don't really want you to mess with the incentives of my, for miners. Basically, they were saying that what they would do is the fees would basically be sent in a pay-to-anyone transaction of sorts in 100 or 1,000 blocks to some miner and... He was also seeing talking about it as like a discount. So like if they get the fees, now they can use the fees to register names or they could like set up a registrar. You're not doing Bitcoin or Bitcoin's network any favors by fucking with the incentive system. Like leave it alone. Like I don't want the miners to be inspecting transactions to like find their their like special fees, you know? I want them to just be looking at the implicit fees that are in transactions. So if they were doing, for example, something where they 
send a, a random transaction and there's just a massive monster fee, that's a little bit different because a miner doesn't have to be aware of Blockstack to get their big ass fee. But if they have to be like looking for these special transactions from Blockstack and inspecting these transactions, like, oh, I don't really know if that's good for the network. Like, they're just asserting that it's good for securing the network because the fees will go to miners. But they're not being honest about the fact that that, that messes with the incentives of the system. I'm really, really skeptical of it. It's like, it's like merge mining. It's like I'm also very skeptical of that as well. And if anyone is following Truthcoin or Paul Storch, you can see that he put up something interesting today about merge mining and Namecoin. It's worth noting that while Namecoin is apparently more secure than Ethereum, you know, Blockstack bailed on Namecoin for, for obvious reasons. Let's see, does that wind down Blockstack? I think so. I just felt that their presentation was not honest because it left out Counterparty in a market share situation. I also felt it was naive in that they seem to be trying to displace the domain name system without really knowing a whole lot about how the domain name system works. Additionally, they seem to be guessing that if they pay fees to miners in the future, that that's going to be better for the network or like help secure the, the network. And I, mean, I don't think that follows necessarily. I think I think there's not much science being done there per se. I'd, lo I'd love to see what what Paul Storch has to say about that, like if you if you pay fees to miners in the future and they have to do some sort of special inspection to find these fees and they may have an incentive to set up like registrars essentially, how is that helping the network be more secure? I, I don't I don't see that economic rationale there. I really didn't want to have to say something bad about these guys. I didn't, but I just felt like they were not being honest in their presentation and I'm very skeptical about their project. Anyways, on to the next thing. So the next thing I got noted here is the happening or the emergency hash rate issue. <laughs> so <laughs> this came up at the meeting, but also it's coming up in the chat rooms all the time. I see Luke Dash Jr. has suggested having emergency code in place in case there's a crisis. And there's it seems like people are really excited about um, sort of, you know, emergencies in Bitcoin. Every emergency is an opportunity to push through something people would like or not like. Or I don't want to see design changes only happen during emergencies. And I think this is not an emergency. So the happening is coming up. It happens every four years or so, if I'm not mistaken. And it's scheduled. It's known. All the miners know it's happening. You see the hash rate blowing up right now. And it's probably because the happening is coming and they want to, you know, go hard right now while the while the reward's large. But yeah, hash rate's going to go down probably. But what amount? Who knows? But I, I, I heard someone say something crazy like, well, it's going to drop 90% potentially, 10% to 90%. It's, which is like a nonsense. It's like, come on, you know, it could drop one or it could, could drop infinity amount. Who knows? And it just seems like FUD to me. And the people that seem to matter, you know, like, for example, the actual professional miners, they have plans. So I've seen in the core Slack chat, um, Alex Petrov, I believe his name is, who works for Bitfury. He said pretty clearly that they have seven contingency plans in place for whatever happens. Like, they're here to win it. And so they're aware that the happening is coming and they have seven plans about what to do with it. And I think that's probably the case with all the pools and all the miners that matter. So I'm not worried about it. If you're worried about what's going to happen and you have this like emergency code set up, we're going to have this every single time there's a happening. It's, there's going to be an emergency, a planned emergency where something stupid gets put into the code. 
And even if it's a little bad, I'm not, I'm, I'm very skeptical that the happening will be an issue, but even if it is like a problem, Luke Dosh Jr.'s point is basically that the hash rate will go down and the difficulty will be set really high and it won't recalculate for so many blocks. Usually it, it amounts to about two weeks, but if the difficulty is so high and the hash rate is lower than the difficulty, the average block time will increase and it could be as much as four weeks before there's a recalculation. And that recalculation itself might even not be enough so that it might take several more weeks until you have a 10 minute block time again. And I just think, okay, like that's fine. I don't see the, I don't see the problem there. I think there will be a lot of FUD around that. I think people will freak out around that. I think there'll be, you know, classic people will go crazy. RBTC will be, you know, just, you know, euphoric, um, I'm sure Vitalik will say something smarmy about it, but it seems to me that the system already has a built-in mechanism to handle handle hash rate changes, and the system has a set time for the happening. And if it doesn't work, I'm very skeptical about the future of Bitcoin. Like, I'd really like to see it work, and I'd like to see it just play out. Because if it is bad, like, I don't think it's going to be fatal, but if it is bad, we'll have four years or so until the next one to adjust that adjust for that but if we put in emergency code it's just such a bad precedent like leave it alone find out what happens and then if it needs fixing fix it but i don't want that to become the new norm and it it is quickly becoming the new norm so many screechers so many emergencies and then you just have these core guys who are like uh guys like chill out and and they're (laughs) They get beat up over that. It's it's absurd. Absurd. A little comment about the Bitcoin core slack. So I just quoted from memory Bitfury, but the core slack has a maximum memory of like 10,000 messages. It's kind of the fork chain of Bitcoin because as your messages get deeper into the history, they're kind of lost unless somebody's indexing that, which is pretty good. I like that. It's not probably great for the, the memory of the Bitcoin community, but it is good because it semi-private. You know, Bruce Fenton likes that, right? On the topic of Bitcoin and physics. So I'm not sure specifically who this quote is. I've heard it a couple times, but physicists essentially require, like they're basically say like, listen, give us this one miracle, i.e. the Big Bang, and everything else makes sense. But just give us this one miracle. You know, I'll give them that miracle. You know, the Big Bang. Okay. But the physicists aren't asking you to, you know, expect another big bang and another big bang and another big bang and another big bang they're just saying look give us this one miracle and the rest of the shit makes sense now i feel like in bitcoin and in 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 the blockchain space is they're like oh we have this one miracle the the bitcoin blockchain and we're going to make another miracle and there'll be another miracle and there'll be another miracle and it's it's so much magical thinking like the bitcoin blockchain is like your one miracle it, the fact that it exists and it is where it is right now and the market cap is what it is, that is stunning, tremendous, incredible. It shouldn't, <laughs> it shouldn't exist, but it does. And you have all these people saying, like, it's a dinosaur. Barry Silbert's Coindesk has been talking about how <laughs> Bitcoin is a dinosaur now. Or you have the Daily Decrypt talking about how it's like this stodgy old coin. It's kind of nuts. Bitcoin has gone to such a position where it's become taken for granted, it's become like inane, 
and expected to exist. Whereas that hasn't always been the case. And it really is only the case in the mind of like altcoiners, to be honest. Bitcoiners, actual Bitcoiners or buttcoiners mostly, uh, very skeptical of this thing. And then you have these altcoiners who are super sure about Bitcoin and they wanted to do all their dreams and hopes so that they can have their altcoins or something. I don't know. It's really frustrating to see. And they're not just asking like for another blockchain, for example. They're trying to displace the existing systems in incredibly entrenched ways. So, for example, I was talking about earlier, Blockstack is interested in displacing the domain name system. That will take a miracle. Ethereum is interested in, in I don't know what they're interested in, supercomputing, hive mind, who knows what what they're up to, but whatever they're talking about is, is, is a, a miracle. Then you have like MadeSafe is talking about replacing the internet or some shit like that. Like just because we have Bitcoin and blockchain doesn't grant you all these other miracles, you know, and one of the things that makes me so skeptical about these, these other projects that is that they're predicting their success and like Ethereum's like, we're going to be super successful. MadeSafe, we're going to be super successful. Blockstack, oh, we're going to be super successful, whatever. They present it as sort of like self-evident, but Bitcoin itself is so not obvious. And that's how all the innovations are that are important. They didn't exist before. Nobody was thinking about them. Somebody created it and you didn't hear about it when it was created. It took you a long time to hear about it and it took you a long time to believe it. And then eventually you use it, not because you want to, because you need to. And that sort of seems to be the, the innovative model that you'll see. So Bitcoin, you know, is Bitcoin. There's no, there's no other reference. It's a really interesting new thing. It's innovative. But then you get something like Open Bazaar. When they talk about it, they're like, oh, well, it's like eBay and it's like Craigslist or it's like all these existing things that you already know, but on the blockchain. And that, that alone is enough to tell me that it's, it's not worth anyone's time. You know, if, if you're not doing something new, something that we've never been able to do before, it's likely what you're doing is not innovative. Sorry. And I'm not saying I have like a bunch of innovative ideas. I, I rack my head all the time trying to think about how to use this blockchain to allow new things. And it's hard. You know, it's not obvious. And you have all these people who are like, the blockchain so obvious. The blockchain is everything. And they're just idiots. They're dumb. Oh, wow. I feel like if I listen to this back, I'm going to really feel ashamed of all the things I've said. Oh, another another comment is on ethereum lately so the price has gone up from like 50 cents to 11 dollars or something like that and that's cool that's cool for you like i hope you get bitcoin out of that and not sit in ethereum but i think there's a lot of people who are modeling themselves after roger Ver and trace mayer and other early adopters of bitcoin and they see these guys stories and they're like okay they got in first they got it cheap and they bought a bunch and they uh, and they won, and I will emulate that strategy. And that's just a you know that's a fail boat mission. Like don't do that. You can't be second first, okay? You can't. They were first, and they were very early, and they took big, 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 big risks very early on. I mean, when I first saw Bitcoin, and this is for a lot of people, when you first see Bitcoin, you're like, okay, I'll write that off. And then it comes up again and you're like, okay, like maybe I'll look at that again. And you you have to get several passes of this thing before you start to really come around to this new way of thinking, this new realm of possibility that's being opened up by it. But it's, it's not at all clear from the beginning. 
And these guys somehow saw what was going on and they it, it made sense for them. But a lot of people aren't like as ready for Bitcoin as they were. And they took huge outsized risks and it paid off for them. And that's great. But imagine Bitcoin or the blockchain without people like that, okay? Imagine you've heard of blockchain and there is no Roger Ver, there is no Trace Mayer, there is no early adopters who are Bitcoin millionaires, and not to diminish what they've, what they've achieved. I think that's great for them. But once you remove that as like a strategy of investment, like what's left? So like they, they've gotten the easy money, like they did it. They, they won that game. But what does that leave? Like, you know, being first is not an option anymore. You're no longer going to be able to be first, okay? Sorry. So you have to do something now that's innovative. And that's not what most people do. What most people do is they try to create a new chain so they can sell people on being first. It's so obvious. And those are really the, the things that Chris and Josh call scams. But what they're doing is they're creating pe- a new opportunity for people to be first. It's not obvious like that in innovative times. Like, for a second, I'm going to shill for Drop Zone. You may have seen me on Twitter or Slack trashing Open Bazaar. I am very skeptical of that project. I really hope that project fails miserably, and I think it will. But I'm going to talk about Drop Zone. It is this kind of innovative thing where I would have never thought about Drop Zone. Like, it's, it's just not within my framework. And then the Drop Zone white paper came up on Bitcoin Uncensored, and I checked it out. And... The first thing I saw when I looked at it, I was like, oh, this shit is not going to work. There are so many problems with this. There are so many reasons it should fail. And then, you know, I even wrote up like multiple articles that said so and like, here are the issues, blah, 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 blah. But it's really now that I've been sitting with it for longer, Drop Zone is, is a new thing. It's, you know, it is an actual decentralized marketplace. It's so strange that that's a possibility. The data is put into the blockchain. You don't, no one is storing the data it's stuffed up into the blockchain you know it pollutes the blockchain it rapes the blockchain and when you you, so no one has custody of the data and there's reputation and there's all these things and oh man i really should have thought out more how i was going to stump for drop zone but like my inability to explain it is also it's part of that thing i was talking about like innovation like it's very non-obvious what's going on with drop zone but I know for sure it's innovative. It's 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 a new thing, and I'd like to see it happen. Um, what else? That was probably like the worst uh, argument for drop zone you've heard yet. You know, I think that's kind of winding down what I have to say today. You know, just going over the meetup that I went to, um, the sort of euphoria that people are feeling about Ethereum. But just think, you know, how many important innovations in human history are like every like everyone that's involved is like super like knows ahead of time it's going to work like the fact that you even have like large groups of people ahead of time assuming this thing will work is you know that should make you very skeptical all the biggest innovations like (laughs) there's a small group of people who are thinking way outside the box and they're doing really weird stuff for not clear reasons and it takes a long time for it to become adopted. And once people are, are adopting it and using it, then it becomes exciting. You don't have people like speculating on the price right away. And that's like the thing that like leads to it working. I, I'm sorry. There's just so much fuzzy thinking happening. And the suits at this meeting, they were just losing their shit. Like Deloitte, we're here for Ethereum. 
Goldman Sachs, we're here for Ethereum. I'm a trader. I'm here for Ethereum. You're, you can't be a second first. You can only be first. And that's that, that path is cut off. It's done. Sorry. So tune in next week for hopefully I'll be in more of a conversation with somebody and less of a talk box. But I did want to keep the momentum going with the show. I'm really happy that we got so many plays. Uh, Chris and Josh really helped us out. I keep saying us because I, I really mean me and Emma when I say that. But she's not. <laughs> she's she's quitting Bitcoin cold turkey. I can't believe she's doing that. I, I'm very surprised. I couldn't do that. I would get withdrawals probably. All right, Dan out.